yeah, uh, yeah. Phone ringing for the work. They waiting on me like the 15 and the first. I'm killing competition, put them bitches in the hearse. Been diagnosed with a sick flow, where the nurse. Yeah, do it for the city, but the hood getting turned. With the money going around like an offer in the church. Shit, this shit was a race, promise I'ma finish first. Taking shots from my spot, got me leaning like I'm Dirk in the playoff. Bitch, I want that Mark Cuban payoff. Fly as a G6, waiting for the takeoff. Hustle like there's only six seconds. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the bubble at sports podcast this is episode 93 the rams versus cowboys review and really main question we're taking out of this game was the rams game a fluke for the dallas cowboys and i'm going to i'm gonna say it you're gonna make me say it i don't care that you broke no not that one yes it was a fluke game for the dallas cowboys i'm sorry Negative Nancy over here, pessimistic right now about the Cowboys. Yet, watching that game on Sunday, you know, I was at work. I didn't read any uh, stats. I didn't see any scores up until like late in the game, and I saw thirty-four to seven, and I was like, "What the fuck just happened?" Okay, my nipples got hard. It was a whole ordeal. Let's let's not talk about that. When I got home, and realizing what this game was was ending up being like ended up being was 44 to 21 i had so many real questions of not the offense i i know that that offense can perform at a high level it was a matter of how that defense held up how close was this game from beginning to end was it just kind of like garbage time touchdowns or was this close and then the cowboys just pulled away so watching this game, um, you know, I'm I'm gonna say it, man. Like, I wasn't all impressed. You know, like I was impressed for the Cowboys game against the Giants at the beginning of the season. Like that game to me, yes, I had my expectations, I had my hope of, uh, and my imagination of what this team can be, and that game just kind of brought it all together on both sides of the ball. It was a complete powerhouse of an offense with a much-improved Dak Prescott, a Zeke that wasn't in full form at that point because he was in still Cabo mode, yet there was still like moments of him like flourishing and the use of Pollard, the use of Amari Cooper, and you can see like different aspects of Michael Gallup and Randall Cobb being used, and you knew that at some point in the season it would all come together again. And you can see that on a consistent basis. On the other side of the ball, you can see that that defense, if they pressure the quarterback, their secondary can hold their own one-on-one. They can get pressure. There is no stopping this defensive line, who was at that time just Demarcus Lawrence, Antoine Woods, Malik Collins, uh, Doran Armstrong at that point. And you knew that, like, oh, well, in two games, they're going to get Robert Quinn. Later in the year, you never expected it, but they would get Michael Bennett. And you're thinking to yourself, like, wow, if, if I would have told you that at the beginning of the season, week one, after that win against the Giants, I would have told you they're only going to get better because of the fact that they're going to add Robert Quinn, Michael Bennett. They're going to deal with injuries, obviously. However, um, Jordan Lewis will start to get more playing time. You're going to see him more on the field rather than Anthony Brown. And that offense is only going to get better because Zeke's going to get back into his form. Amari Cooper, if healthy, 
is one of the best wide receivers in the league, you would be like, this team is is going to the Super Bowl. This team is a playoff contender. I wonder what they're going to end the season like with their record. Well, joke's on you, because that, that would have been me really excited. They're 7-7, they're seven and seven, even after this game. Uh, Rams fall to 8-6, and six, and they really needed this game. Three teams actually make the playoffs, which I believe were the Packers, the Vikings, and the 49ers. Hopefully I'm right on that. Those three teams make it in because of the fact that the Rams lost on Sunday to the Dallas Cowboys. And as far as the Dallas Cowboys go, this this game really didn't matter in the sense that everything is on the line for next week. Uh, we'll do a, a, a preview for that game against the Eagles. This will determine basically who goes through and wins the division since the Cowboys have one win over the Eagles. If the Eagles win at home on Sunday, then they tie the, the matchup uh, th- for the year, and they're both at a close record. The Eagles are just going to edge them out just by one game, no matter what happens in that last Week 17 game. And so so this game, like it kind of reminded me of the Jaguars game last year. You know, like when you had no expectations for the Dallas Cowboys, like you're saying, that's a tough defensive team. I could see the Jaguars pulling that out for sure. And then the Cowboys end up scoring what? Like over 40 points, over 50 points, I think, in that game last year. Yet the rest of the year, you're like, well, that doesn't really matter anymore because you gave up 200 yards rushing to the Los Angeles Rams. And I'll, I'll say it, you know, doing the preview of this game, I was wrong. I expected a much, much different game. I, I would expect a 44-21 Rams. But when we look at the stats here, what I said was Todd Gurley is going to run all over this team. He is going to demolish this weekend linebacker position, going to demolish the the front line of the Dallas Cowboys and rush for over 150 yards. The dude ended up with 11 carries and 20 yards. That was a main focus for the Dallas Cowboys was it doesn't matter who beats us. It's not going to be Brandon Cook. It's not going to be Robert Woods. Cooper Cup was non-existent in this game, really. He had six receptions for 41 yards and a touchdown. Yet, it really felt that that was just in garbage time toward the end of the game. But when it mattered the most, he wasn't there. It was really uh, Tyler Higby that was their leading receiver with 12 receptions and 111 yards. And a lot of them were just dump passes. A lot of them were screens. A lot of them were just checkdowns. So good job for the Dallas Cowboys to say, you're not going to beat us with your best guys. You're going to beat us with your third or fourth option, really, who is not going to make plays down the stretch to really get you back into this football game. And even then, with Jared Goff, he had to throw 51 times, 284 yards, two touchdowns, an interception, a huge interception by Sean Lee, who played the best game of his of his season by far. I mean, not even close. And you're thinking, like, I'm saying all these positive things, Yet there's so many different things that I felt just embodied the whole issue of the Dallas Cowboys. Like nothing on the defensive side other than that one interception by Sean Lee and the good coverage by Chidobe Wujie. He had his best game of the year too. Other than that, I saw the same flaws. I saw the same type of problems that not the Rams can do because I think overall a matchup like this, it favors the Cowboys. It's just who's on point that day. Both teams have been struggling all year. The Rams have found their stride. It was just too late. The Cowboys, you don't know if they're hitting their stride. Both teams are somewhat inconsistent. 
and misleading as that talented team can go so far yet who knows who knows what team's going to show up um yet the the defensive side for me it showed the flaws they've been having all year long it shows the problems that if they match up again against the Saints team against the Packers team they will not succeed in those games they're going to take advantage of the mistakes and we'll talk about the mistakes now before getting into the actual game itself a few things to talk about first of all Brett Maher get the fuck out you are you are no longer you're no longer going to be mentioned on this podcast ever again ever again okay so if you're listening which I know you are because I know you're a big fan of the podcast even though I shit on you all the time it's it's so hard to say goodbye. I love I hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. You keep running back and forth. Soccer team. Boom. YNCMB, Drizzy Lutz on the mic. If you know that reference, you do. If not, don't worry about it. Okay? Second, the Pro Bowl roster came out today. I took a nap. And they announced it during my nap. And when I woke up, I saw the quarterback's name for the NFC team. Russell Wilson, obvious. I mean, MVP or MVP candidate, I should say. Who else? I forgot the other guy's name. Oh, I'm stupid. I really am stupid. Hey, uh, someone else. I, I, I completely forgot. I completely blanked. And then there's Aaron Rodgers. Now, I'm no Aaron Rodgers hater. I'm really not. I actually am fond of the Green Bay Packers. I love what their organization stands for. Um, and, you know, like Aaron Rodgers is a phenomenal player. I mean, he is talented. And he's one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Uh, it's, it shouldn't shouldn't go or it should go unsaid. Um I'm I'm sorry. I'm looking up the the NFC uh, quarterbacks because I I'm blanking. Drew Brees. How am I freaking Drew Brees? Ah, oh, Jesus Christ, Bubba. Come on. Congratulations to Drew Brees, by the way, for breaking that record last night. An emotional moment. It's great to see him get that at home. You know, tearing up on the sideline. Drew Brees, man. I saw something on Twitter it was like Drew Brees is better than Peyton Manning. Like someone just said, don't at me. And I'm like, yeah, I, I would agree with that. I really would. I would rather have Drew Brees and Payne Manning. Don't at me either. Okay? So going back to Aaron Rodgers. He's a pro bowler. For sure. Okay? Now, this season though. I know that the Packers have been doing phenomenal stuff. As an overall team, their defense has really stepped up. Even battling through injuries. Aaron Jones has had the best year of, of his entire career. Really. Like, college... Or, like, high school, whatever. Go minors, you know? Yet, like, this has been the best year so far for him. And Aaron Rodgers has been doing great, too. I mean, he's been leading that team, adjusting to that new offense with Matt LaFleur. I don't have any problem with with Aaron Rodgers. The problem I have is that Dak Prescott is having the best year of his entire life. On and off the field, this man is a leader. This man is a talented quarterback, has all the confidence in the world, and the whole reason why the Cowboys are still in the playoff hunt is because of him. Don't at me on that either, but he is the sole reason why they've won seven games this year. Yes, there have been other factors to add on to that, but what is the number one factor of Cowboys 
games going in favor, getting that W, and making sure that they score enough points or to take care of time of possession, all those different things. Who keeps them in football games? It's it's Dak Prescott. This man is leading the league. Well, he's actually second behind Jameis Winston. I know Eddie. Oh, God. Uh, Winston's no stop. He's second in the NFL in passing yards by like only like 200, 300 yards. Um, he has, he's up there in, in touchdowns. He's up there in not creating turnovers. I want to say he has 11 interceptions, which really ha- more than half of them are not his fault. He doesn't make bad throws often. He doesn't turn the ball over. He only has like four fumbles compared to 11 last year. This man is playing the best football of his life. And he is the sole reason why the Cowboys are in the playoff hunt. And just a couple weeks ago, weren't we saying that Dak Prescott should be considered as an MVP? Should be up there with Russell Wilson and Lamar Jackson? Now, he wouldn't have won if he just kept up that pace. I get that. Yet, he was just in the conversation. Aaron Rodgers was nowhere near that conversation. Yet, in the Pro Bowl where it's based off of individual performance, we really judge Dak Prescott's voting off of the Dallas Cowboys' success. Basically, all the voters, which are going to hate the Cowboys, without a doubt. I mean, like more than half of them say, like, I'm not going to vote for Dak Prescott because I hate the Cowboys. Another reason why is, like, they're 7-7. Seven and seven. Why would I vote for a team that's 7-7? Seven and seven? Or just average at best when the Green Bay Packers are well above 500, they're making the playoffs, they're going to win their division, and Aaron Rodgers is playing really good football. Well, I get that, I understand that, but this is a Pro Bowl, this is based on individual performances. Drew Brees deserves to get in. Russell Wilson deserves to get in, absolutely. Because those guys are putting up the best stats, those guys are putting up the most points. I mean, they're, they are the best players on their teams. Well, right now, the best player on the Cowboys is Dak Prescott. The most talented is Zeke, by far. Yet, right now, who's playing the best football for the Dallas Cowboys? It's Dak Prescott. And not to disrespect the other guys that got in, who was Travis Frederick, Zach Marin, Tyrone, uh, Tyron Smith, and Zeke. However, just a few weeks ago, weren't we saying as well that Zeke is having an off year? It seems that he's not having the same year that he did in his rookie season. He doesn't feel comfortable. Like, like Sunday's game was his best game of the season. Yet, there were so many weeks before that where people were like, well, Zeke's really falling off. Is he really the guy anymore for the, for the Dallas Cowboys? Should they have really paid him that much? Yet, he's the Pro Bowl running back? I mean, he probably deserves it still. Yet it's kind of kind of the same argument that you have with basketball and, and their all-star games is that it's never really truly based on who is great that season. It's just if you're the name, you really think Carmelo Anthony should have made it to all those all-star games in this last part of his career? No, but he made it anyways because it's Carmelo Anthony. LeBron James, you can make an argument for some years where you're like, did he really deserve to get in? Other than, like, if you just took out the name and you just based it on his stats, yeah, he probably would have gotten in. But there's other guys around the league that you're like, they they put up more stats. They put up better numbers. Yet, Dwayne Wade's an all-star. He's in the, the roster. 
Or even Dirk Nowitzki. Like, do you really think Dirk Nowitzki really, like, did did he really deserve to be in those last couple of years as the All Star game? Other than it's Dirk, so we we should really give it to him. You know, like, it's it's a legend, and we don't want to disrespect him. You know, it's his last couple of years in the NBA, but his stats were pretty bad. Like, his knees were about to give out. I, I love Dirk, but was he really an All Star? No, no. Okay. I just want to put that on the table, people. Dak Prescott deserved. He should. He, he's like every time I look at a story about the and um, the Pro Bowl roster, like number one snub, Dak Prescott. Come find me if you think that is not true. If you really think that Dak Prescott didn't deserve to be in the Pro Bowl, come find me. I just want to talk, man. I just want to talk. And finally, new signing for the Dallas Cowboys today: former Super Bowl MVP Malcolm Smith who used to be with the Seattle Seahawks, is a veteran guy at the linebacker position. So many things that are, are coming into play because of this pickup. Now, obviously, Luke Gifford being injured, breaking his arm on Sunday. Joe Thomas also being injured on Sunday. I think it's his knee injury, or I think it's his knee. I don't know how severe that injury is. Um, you also go into the the part of Sean Lee being banged up before the game on Sunday, even though he played phenomenal. And Lane Vanderesh, that's the biggest story about this. And I think this is the biggest factor of this pickup is the fact that Lane Vanderesh hurt his neck over a month ago, a month and a half ago. And when those initial reports came out of how severe that injury is, they said, no, he's going to be fine. Um, we're probably looking at early December for him to come back. We're mid-December right now, people, and we're, I've said this on multiple podcasts now, is the fact that in every week's injury report, it's an automatic out for Lane Vandrish. There's never been a time so far where it's questionable, where it's doubtful. Um, it's, it's just completely out. He's out for the game. I don't know how his neck's holding up. What they said on Sunday was... They're not going to rush into this. They're they're basically going to bring him back to make sure he is safe for the playoffs. Now, you, we say that with the Cowboys not even sealing a playoff berth yet. And it's the same thing that we've talked about with Jerry and Jason. It's like, when we get to the playoffs, we're, we, we can make a Super Bowl run. How, I'm like, how about we win a game first? How about we win two in a row? Two in a row. Before we start talking playoffs and how we're going to use Lane Vanderish in the playoffs, let's get let's get to the playoffs first before you even decide that. At that point, Lane Vanderish's neck injury is way more serious than we thought. At this point, man, like you're talking about a month and a half past to where you said a month at most, and yet we're not even making huge amount of progress. We're not making any strides of him making back on the football field. And I get it completely. It's a neck injury and we're thinking long term. Lane Vanders has accepted the fact that I'm here for the long time. I'm here for the long term. So if I need to stay out for more weeks than I need to, to be more healthy, I'm all for it. Lane Vanders is the next Sean Lee. And we all know what happened with Sean Lee early in his career. Too many hamstring injuries, too many thigh injuries, too many knee injuries, too many... Just name it. Name a, a body part, and you know that Sean Lee's been through it. He's been through some shit, okay? And even on Sunday, he was questionable for that game. Imagine he didn't play that game. I think things would have been a little bit different for the Dallas Cowboys without Sean Lee. 
So you don't want to go that route again. You don't want a Sean Lee 2.0. You want the Sean Lee 2.0 for Lane Banders to be on the field, to be healthy. You don't want the guy that's on the sideline looking at film the entire time and injured all the time. You want that same mind. You want the same type of, of IQ on the field, but you need it at 100%. So take all the time that you need with Lane Vanderish. I just think, really, we have underestimated the severity of this injury. And that's one of the big reasons why Malcolm Smith was picked up for the Dallas Cowboys. A great veteran guy, depth guy that they really need. I mean, he was a Super Bowl MVP. He can bring a lot to the table. So take some load off of Jalen Smith. Take the load off of Sean Lee and the banged-up guys like Joe Thomas and March. Now you got a Smith guy who can bring in as a veteran leadership at that position to go alongside Michael Bennett and Chris Richard, who are all from the Seahawks organization, so they have a relationship already built. I just thought about that right now. It's Michael Bennett and Chris Richard are all friends with him. So this is a perfect setup. You know, the Cowboys did a good job of keeping it within that family, the Chris Richard family, a guy that they trust, a guy that they know can bring a lot to the table, and a veteran presence who still has a lot to give, especially on a playoff contention team like the Dallas Cowboys, who in the long term, let's say like down the road, they make the playoffs, they get a good run going. Let's say they upset the 49ers and they're in that divisional round. Heck, a big play by Malcolm Smith or by uh, Lane Vanders, any one of those linebacker guys, it makes it even much harder for those offenses to, to strive to success when you have an MVP from the Super Bowl and then... Lane Vanderish or Jalen Smith, whoever pick pick whoever on that linebacker position to to cover your tight end, to cover your running back, or to just blitz you. This is a good pickup for the Dallas Cowboys. Now I'm pretty sure I haven't looked at the contract details yet. I probably guarantee you that they got him for cheap. They got him for a, a veteran's contract, which is good. They probably won't keep him for as long as the end of the season goes. They're probably going to do the same with Michael Bennett, who we'll get into later. Um, so good pickup for the Dallas Cowboys. They really need that because of the depth that they're lacking in the linebacker position. And it really helps Jalen Smith and Sean Lee feel less pressure on their shoulders to really carry that defense. So moving on to the actual game itself. And... I'm, I'm not going to make it a huge, like, first quarter, second quarter, third quarter. So let's just start off with, with Defergate, with the coin toss, all right? Let's just, let's just put it on the table. Dak said defer. He did say it. The first time, he said, we're going we're gonna to kick. Like, we would like to kick. Okay, fine. The ref went up to him again and said, are you, like, you're going to kick, and he implied it like, dude, you know what you're saying, right? And then immediately Dak's like, yeah, we're going to defer to the second half. Clear as day. Now, I know AT&T Stadium is pretty loud. You know, it's filled with a lot of rich white people and a lot of Rams fans because they travel. But it's the coin toss, okay? This is not your first rodeo, ref. You should know that he said defer. And they fixed it in the end. The Cowboys got the ball in the second half. The only thing I'm going to mention about this is the fact that since he didn't say defer or he didn't hear him say defer the two times that he asked him, that it automatically says, okay, the Rams are going to get the ball first in the first half and they're going to get the ball again in the second half because you didn't say defer. That's a stupid rule. Now, there's a lot of stupid rules in the NFL. 
Uh, one of them being that you can challenge past interference now. Well, that's for another day, okay? Because it obviously doesn't work. However, how come there's a rule, and who came up with this rule to say that, all right, just so we can be dicks about it, if they don't say the word defer, then they won't get the ball in the second half. If they say kick or they say anything else rather than defer to the second half, they are not going to get the ball at all on a kickoff. Who, who's, who's bands, who's bitch ass friend said that's going to be a rule and everyone around them in like the committee, however they did this, they all said, well, yeah, that, that makes sense. Like, really? It's like basically saying, if you don't throw the challenge flag this certain way, then you won't get the challenge done. How, how about we make that rule? Because if you're talking about small little details like that, then might as well do it all the way around. If you're going to challenge, if you can challenge pass interference, you should challenge holding. That's what you're saying, NFL. So if you're saying, if they don't use the word defer on a, on a coin toss, then they don't get the ball. Hey, if you don't say that you want to decline the penalty, then we're going to accept the penalty, even though it hurts you, even though it makes complete sense to decline the penalty. Because you didn't say the word decline. Excuse me? What kind of little bitch makes that rule, okay? That should be taken out of the, the play or out of the rule book. It's, it's completely stupid. So Dak, everyone said, well, Dak should have said defer. He did watch the tape, review the film, listen to the audio. He did say defer. Defer gate closed all right getting to the point to why i think this was a fluke game for the dallas cowboys okay so here it is okay now they played great football in the first half and i'm not i'm not discrediting anything that the offense or the defense did they didn't start off high i mean kai forbath kicked it out of bounds in his first play with the dallas cowboys not a good start you know especially coming off of of who who shall not be named anymore on this podcast, the worst kicker in, in Cowboys history. Um, but even on the first possession for the Rams, and this is just a continuation of what's happened all year long, is the fact that the Cowboys, the defense played really well. They could have gone off the field on a three and out. You know, the Rams threw three times in a row. They actually threw four times in a row because of the penalty that happened on third down. But the Cowboys get a defensive hold on third down, keeps them on the field by Robert Quinn, and gives the the Rams another set of downs. And then the, the Rams, you know, they didn't end up doing anything on that drive, yet th this is the whole conversation of, yes, it may not it may not happen with the Rams. It may not affect you against the Rams. Let's say you go against the Patriots again. Let's say you go against the Saints or the, or the Packers, whoever, whatever team you want to put in, in that conversation. Imagine giving them an automatic set of downs, a new fresh set of downs, after a third down penalty to extend their drive, especially early on in the game. Let's say a Packers team where Aaron Rodgers is phenomenal in the first quarters and really falls off in those other three quarters. Yet if he gets them going... If he gets himself going in the first quarter, there's no stopping that Packers team. 
then you extend the possibility of Aaron, Aaron Jones finding a, a big run down the field for Aaron Rodgers getting a free play on offsides. If you just got them off the field on three and out, you don't have to worry about that as long as how your offense plays. Yet, you got away with it against Rams. It's not going to fly against other teams, though. So, and this is a common problem. Like, we saw it on the first quarter, on that first possession, and then we saw it late in the in the game. I know it was a complete blowout at that point, and there was no reason for the Rams to come back in that game. But the, that drive, that final drive, where, the, where Todd Gurley scores it and he misses a two-point conversion, that drive to where... Michael Bennett had two offside penalties to extend drives. Like, get off the field. Like, that that's your main job. Michael Bennett is doing this every single week. Every single week. And I know he's had he's had this problem throughout his career where he just wants to jump off the line immediately. Yet, you can kind of get away with it in Seattle just because of the fact that your defense is going to step up no matter what. Like the Legion of Boom was always going to be there. In Dallas, you can't get away with that. Because what's been the motive of that defense is that they can't get off the field, they keep getting these penalties, or they're just making dumb mistakes and they can't tackle. Those are the three things that determine this Cowboys defense when they're doing bad. And yet, those things were still apparent on Sunday. Those things still happen on Sunday. It, It wasn't just like a, oh, they completely shut down that Rams offense. They shut down the, the running game, and they allowed Jared Goff to just do checkdowns. Yet there were some plays in the second half, and this is where most of those problems for me came, was in the second half, the screen game for the Rams was there. I mean, they had a lot of big plays on their screens, and it could have easily been a touchdown if they just got one or two more blocks down the field. They consistently got good plays on screens. Uh, they didn't get the running game going, yet those checkdowns to like Tyler Higby down the field, I mean, he can break a tackle, and, and there were some plays, like, too. Like, Todd Gurley, he ran, like, a little, like, uh, Texas route, and, I mean, he had open field if Jared Goff just threw it in the right spot. He would have gotten the touchdown. And, yes, it, it may not have been the biggest touchdown to get him back in the game. It's it's mistakes like that. It's small things like that. They blew coverage on that play. You can't blow coverage in other games when, like, let's say against the Eagles this weekend, if you do that, you are going to screw yourself. You are going to shoot yourself on the foot. It doesn't matter what the score is. You shouldn't be, like, cruising to the end of the game. If you're cruising, you're playing bad football. Now, I'm going to credit Sean Lee's performance. I'm going to credit Chidobe Wujie's performance. Yet, there were still so many plays, not from them, but from the entire defense, where I was like, what the hell are we doing? Like, what, what is happening? That's blown coverage. That is a bad mistake. And if this game was close and that happened, the day after, you're going back to your film room and looking at that play and saying, that's where we lost it. That's where we really defeated ourselves. And, and I'll, I'll talk more about some plays as well. So, overall, in, in the first half, they played great. The offense was just rolling. 21 points in the, in the second quarter. Um... Yeah, there were still some things where I'm just like, like you can't be doing that. There was like a third and three, and the Cowboys decided to throw a streak down the field or down the sideline to Michael Gallup 20 yards down when really you only needed three yards to extend the drive. It was their first drive of the game. 
Like, that's unnecessary. Like, take that chance on first and second down and then go for the easy pickup with Blake Jarwin or Jason Wynn on third down because it worked all day long. Why didn't you do it there? And that gets you off the field on your first drive. The Cowboys do this every single time where they, even on their losses, they're getting great drives on their first drive. They score points, yet most of the time they just go three and out and punt to start off the game. That's a horrible way of doing things, especially when you go against a playoff team later on in the season. So then looking at like other plays, like we're going closer to the end of the first quarter, and this is where the Cowboys really started to pick it up. And yes, the third and 10, Dak rolls out to the right, sends a dart to Amari Cooper down the field. And Amari Cooper makes a tremendous catch because it was a little bit high. And it got the first down. It got huge momentum for the Dallas Cowboys offense. Big conversion to extend the drive. It's what they needed. It's what they really needed. And it's what they always need in a early game is that one big play. That one big play to be like, oh, things are going to go our way this this day or in this game. Because the next game or the next plays after that, you can sense the momentum change for the Dallas Cowboys. And it ended with that Jason Wynn one-handed catch for the touchdown. It's those types of plays that, you know, spark the sideline, that spark that offense to really feel like, all right, we're comfortable now. If things are going to go like that, if we can make plays like that, then we're we're going to have a great day. Where I'm going to get pessimistic is that's what the Cowboys rely on. And in a sense, you can say that for everyone in the NFL is that as long as you get that one play down, if you get that one play that goes your way to really make a key, a change in the momentum, then that's where offenses flourish uh, or defenses flourishes um, with a turnover. Yet, I think the Cowboys are the most reliable on a big play like that. Let's say Dak Prescott overthrows that ball. He goes way too high. Amari Cooper can't make the catch. It's tipped in the air. The Rams catch it for an interception. Or it's just an incomplete pass. And it's a third and ten. You get off the field for the second time in a row. And you don't get anything going on offense. How different would this game be if they didn't get that play down? And they didn't get that one-handed catch by Jason Wynn? It's, it's huge. I think it's a huge factor. The fact that these... That, that this team is just so reliant on big plays and the fact that if if that one catch or that one play doesn't go their way, that the whole mentality of that team is like, man, we, we'll just have another slow start. Then the domino effect happens to where maybe this is another start to a, to a Bills game, to a Bears game or to any one of the losses that you've had all year long. Without those plays, who knows what this team would have done on Sunday. Luckily, they did. Fortunately, they had it. Yet, it's it's plays like that where you can't be so reliant on it. Because what if you don't get it against the, the Eagles on Sunday? What if you don't get that play down? It's a whole different ball game, people. Um, another play that I was very pessimistic about, or very negative about, was when the Cowboys were on defense... Uh, it, it was Rams drive third and two. They ran the Bubba Bunch formation. Just want to put that out there. Empty backfield for Jared Goff. Robert Woods is set into motion to the left, and Byron Jones picks him up. 
Now, third and short, you're going to expect something quick, fast, um, like a slant route, an out route, or a screen pass. And, and the screen pass at that point was working for the Rams already. So third and short, and Jones is playing soft coverage on Woods. He's giving them at least 10 yards worth of a field to work with. And it's a screen pass to Woods. Jared Goff picks it up. He realizes that. And a quick throw to Robert Woods, who has that one-on-one matchup with Byron Jones. But even when Byron Jones already goes in front of Robert Woods, it's already too late. He only needs basically a yard and, and one somewhat of a missed tackle to make that first down and extend the drive. I mean, all quarter long, the man coverage has worked for the Dallas Cowboys. Shadobi Wujie was on Brandon Cooks, who surprisingly was doing very well. Byron Jones is a better lockdown defender and corner for the Dallas Cowboys. And playing on a second matchup, really like second option for Jared Goff, or third even, if you consider Cooper Cup. Um, And yet, your lockdown corner is playing soft coverage man-on-man to Robert Woods. Like, how does that make sense? The Rams didn't do anything with this drive. Again, and I don't want to sound like too negative because it, it didn't end up in points. We're still in the same conversation. Any other team takes advantage of that third down. They take advantage of the extension, the new set of downs. And the fact that you couldn't just basically logically say, well, they're 32. They need something quick. They're not going to throw something down the field because it hasn't worked all day so far. Our our corners have done phenomenal and our safeties have helped us all game long. So why should we throw it 20 yards down the field? It didn't work for the Cowboys. It definitely didn't work for the, the Rams at that point. They needed something quick. It's been working all game long. Check downs, check downs, check downs, screen passes. And yet your initial intention or your initial thought was, all right, we're going to play soft coverage because there, there's there got to be something that they're going to do down the field rather than a screen pass where it's been successful so far. It, that doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. It's small little things like that, people. But in the end, they extend drives. They make points happen. They make extensions of drives, especially against a Rams team that can explode at any moment. Getting off the field is super important. It's very important, and the Cowboys just didn't do that for me enough. Like They stayed on the field too many times, and it's been the issue all year long for the Dallas Cowboys. Now, going back to the discussion of Dak Prescott being a pro bowler and being snubbed, the one play that I say defines the argument of, do you want to doubt Dak Prescott? Part 5,200,000, whatever. Like, if you want to continue that conversation, how about we look at the second and nine uh, in the second quarter. Cowboys run a fake to Zeke on the inside for a run. Dak keeps it and is immediately pressured by Dante Fowler. Yet, Dak Prescott has the the instinct to juke him, miss the tackle, and immediately see uh, Tavon Austin down the field across the middle, oh, wide open. I mean, completely wide open. There was crossing routes between him and I want to say Randall Cobb or one of those other receivers, even maybe Amari Cooper, and the Rams defenders ran into each other. So Taylor Austin was, I mean, he had a 20-yard radius before anybody was with him. So imagine if Dak Prescott did not make that missed tackle. 
if he just took the sack, which a lot of these quarterbacks will do, like Eli Manning's going to take that sack. Tony Romo, even in this later part of his career, would have taken that sack because Dante Fowler had him dead to rights. For Dak Prescott to miss that tackle and to merely instinctly find Tavon Austin down the field, I mean, that's, that's the touchdown that really set apart the Cowboys from being close to the Rams in that game. It was 14-7, but really, I think that that play was like, oh man, things aren't going the Rams' way. They're going to go the Cowboys' way today. And and you're not used to seeing the Cowboys have an explosive one play to get them a touchdown. It's very methodical. It's very like we're going to pick at you every single play, and then we're going to go into the, the end zone easily after a 10-11 yard or a 10 10 or 11 play drive and then to go down 75 yards down the field to take off six minutes off the clock this was like no this was one play like 65 yards 70 yards in a matter of a minute you don't find those in Dallas you just they're not used to that so if they can do more of that because of Dak Prescott's ability to extend the play by all means do that because Dak Prescott is a pro bowler he's an MVP as we go on through this game, I didn't really mention a lot of the third quarter, fourth quarter, but Zeke had his best game of, of his uh, season. He was r- making runs and missing tackles that reminded me so much of his rookie season. I have not seen it all year long, yet it was so easy for him to miss that tackle. I mean, guys were looking up at him, trying to grab his foot, and he would just snatch it. Like, he would just be like, bitch, you know, get the fuck off me. Like, that's how easy it was. And he was barreling through guys. I mean, there was one, like, tackle or miss, like, truck that he did. And I was like, Jesus Christ. Like, Zeke came to play today. And then you take that along with the use of Tony Pollard early on in the game and especially later on in the game, the use of Blake Jarwin. That one drive where Zeke went off the field Pollard was in, Jason Wynn had some rest, so Blake Jarden was in. Those guys, I mean, they are playmakers. When we look at the stats of Jason Wynn and Blake Jarwin, Blake Jarden has been, been more productive on lesser plays than Jason Wynn, yet they have not utilized him to the best of his ability. And that's another issue I have with the Dallas Cowboys, is that they are not realizing what they have. They know that they have Dak Prescott. They know that they have Zeke. They know that they have Amari Cooper. Yet, in the long term, when Amari Cooper is banged up, when Jason Wynn is too tired to be on the field, when Zeke is huffing and puffing, which he was in this game, early on in this game too, and you got to think, all right, I got to find more weapons. I can't be just using these guys all uh, all day long. Because they're going to get banged up. They're going to get tired. And I still need them for three or four more games in the season. you got to go to guys like Tony Pollard. you got to go to guys like Blake Jarwin. And the fact that it's taken Kellen Moore, Jason Garrett, Jerry Jones, all, all this stretch of games. And even then, I still don't think they've used them to the fullest ability. And we're yet we're in week 16 now. And I'm barely seeing them realize what they have. It's ridiculous. And I hope to think that they're peaking at the right time to say, oh, we have Blake Jarwin. Like, this guy can block, and this guy can be quicker. He's basically like a wide receiver, but he has the size of Jason Wynn. 
How about we use him more often on those third and threes and get those easy pickups like the old reliable, but now he's the new reliable for Dallas because Jason Wynn, yes, he has his one-offs of that one-handed catch and those amazing plays and he can block, you know, 60% of the time. But we got to move on. We got to think of a, a future past Jason Wynn. And we have that. We have that in Dallas with Blake Jarwin. Yet, I don't think they've realized that. And the fact that they don't have the two running back set on the same like on the same play with Pollard and Zeke, where I haven't seen that more often than not. When you have teams like 49ers and the Saints that are using both of their running backs at the same time, and it's just so hard for that defense to realize or to even pick up, like, who are they going to throw it to? Who are they going to use on this play? The, the the Cowboys could really use a triple option if they wanted to. They could fake it. They can fake a read option with Dak. They can hand it off to Zeke. Or they can do a shovel pass to, uh, to Blake Jarwin or to Tony Pollard. There's so many different aspects they can use. And on Sunday, they actually started using more of the pistol formation. I haven't seen that all year long. They didn't use it as effectively as they, they should have because they use Tavon Austin, and you know what they're going to do with Tavon Austin. It's going to be a jet sweep. It's going to be something. Yet, look at George Kittle in the 49ers. Like He does shovel passes all the time. How come we can't do that with Blake Jarwin? That's just a food for thought. Yet, this this game really showed me that, like, once again, they they know what they have. They know the talent that they have. Yet they don't know how to use it. Like Pollard did amazing things just on him, like by himself. He extended runs. He he missed tackles. He was just so aware of the field. And that's nothing different that the Cowboys did for the formation or the scheme. It was just like, heck, it, I mean, probably with Zeke on that day, he would have done the same thing. Yet on most days, on most games, that's only like a two or three yard pickup. Yet Pollard extended that to 10 or 11. And Zeke did that the same thing that day, but it's not going to be an everyday thing. I've seen more often than not to where the Cowboys just miss a, a gap, miss a tackle, or those running backs just don't give it enough effort to extend that play. I'm, I'm happy for Pollard. I'm happy for Zeke to have the best games of their season. I'm just not convinced yet to say that's going to be on a consistent basis. So then again, um, Sean Lee with his interception, it's a Christmas miracle. The Cowboys actually create turnovers. Uh, the corners played very well other than that. It's more of just the third and fourth quarters to me to where like Michael Bennett catching himself offside, um, those screen passes that, I mean, went for 30-plus yards and extended drives for the, the Rams. Kai Forbath was really the MVP of the second half because he made three field goals uh, and was three for three. Good job for him, man, like after that start to kick it off out of bounds and then to bounce back to make those like 40 plus yard field goals. I think both of them was 42 and then there was a 50 yarder. Good job for him to make those like, you know, not critical field goals, but get good practice later on in the game where like pressure wasn't on him. It was a perfect situation for him to get those field goals down, to get those kicks down, and to set him up for critical situations later on in the year, especially with the Eagles game coming up. Um, so the defense is my biggest issue. You could say the offense that they cruise by, like they should have just put in the second team. 
much earlier because Dak Prescott, that offense really didn't do much in the second half. Um, it was the defense for me that's like those screen passes, those check downs, those blown coverages, not getting any pressure on Jared Goff. You didn't convince me. You you didn't impress me enough to say that defense is top 10 and they played like it. Their stats say top 10 all the time. Yet I'm not seeing a top 10 defense. Sean Lee played great. Chidobi Wuje played great. You know, even with the banged up injuries on their linebacker position, I still think those guys played great. Yet, in the scheme of things, when the Rams had nothing to play for, even then, I felt like there were still some blown coverage. Like, the second, or the two-point conversion, where Todd Gurley completely dropped the ball. I mean, that was on him every day. Like, that should be caught. Even though it didn't matter in the end, the fact that Todd Gurley was that wide open, the fact that the like the play-action rollout to the left or right for Jared Goff worked every single time, I mean, he had plenty of time to throw because it just faked out the defense so many times. And it's plays like that where Todd Gurley's wide open in the end zone. Well, if if offenses or coaches see that on film and they say, well, if we get the screen pass going, if we get the running game going, then we can do that play again. And I guarantee you that's a touchdown or at least a two-point conversion when we do it. They didn't execute it well for the Rams. Yet if we do that, in the playoffs, we're going to catch the Cowboys off guard. You know, when it matters the most, they're going to fall under pressure. When, in that game, when they were just a, completely oblivious to whatever was happening, they they were blowing coverages. And it was just a matter of the Rams not executing perfectly. That's what the Cowboys have done all year long is fail to execute. When another team comes into Dallas and they establish a running game, and they get the play action going, and they do plays like the Rams do, but they do it on a better, like a, a perfected version of it where they actually execute. This game is completely different. This defense does not look top ten, and they definitely don't look as good as they did on Sunday. All right, like, yes, it's a good win. Technically, that you can say that they finally got a win against a playoff team, even though the Rams aren't going to make the playoffs at this point, unless the Vikings lose out and the Rams win out. They had to play the 49ers next week. Good luck with that. So you can say they're one in six against playoff teams, yet that's still one in six. That's not impressive. That's not. That's not safe for me to say. So. Here we are, people. Like it all, It's all going to be determined on Sunday against the Eagles. And going into that game, am I confident? No, absolutely not. Because the Eagles and the Cowboys are the exact same thing. Put in Spider-Man meme here. Because they're both just looking at each other like, we're both 500. We're really talented. We had Super Bowl expectations at the beginning of the year. And yet, we suck. Like, our record is horrible. We should be better. So both teams are going in there after a win and saying, man, if we win the division, we're a team that can just come out of nowhere. We're the dark horse. Either team can do that. And either team can be the worst team in the NFL. They can be lackluster. They can be undisciplined. They can create so many penalties. They they can make us so many mistakes. 
it's up in the air as to which team is going to show up. The probability of both teams showing up on Sunday is, I mean, less than 50%. I would think so. Like, they're both team. It's either going to be one team dominates or both teams suck. Because that Eagles game, like, earlier in the year, like, the Cowboys looked good, but they didn't look great. And it was okay. Like, even with a, a good win for the Cowboys in that. Like, what was the score in that game? I need to look that up. They beat the Eagles 37-8. Or, no, 37-10. Uh, to Oh, yeah, that was the week that... Um, or that those were the weeks that they won, like, 37 points to the Giants. The Giants came after that, 37-18. So, yeah. They were on a good stretch at that point. But, like, we, we could go back to those podcasts and say, like... Yes, you can beat these teams, but it doesn't really matter. Like you're, those aren't playoff teams. You got to win against the Vikings. You got to win against the Patriots, and they didn't do that. So in, we're in the same boat here. So in the end, am I confident for Sunday? No. Do I think this game was a fluke? Yes. You can score forty-four points against the Rams. Most teams won't, but let's say that the Bucks did that earlier in the year, and I'm not a big fan of the Bucks, so I'm not a big fan of what the Cowboys did on Sunday. There's so many concerns there's too many problems that I say weren't solved on Sunday and they're gonna be exploited either against the Eagles or in the playoffs if they make it that far so that's gonna do it for me I know I'm always gonna be negative about the Cowboys I'm just gonna be critical people I'm, I'm gonna be honest like good for them to win a game like that in a in a good statement win especially at home where you don't really have home field advantage and is against a team that has the potential to make it to the playoffs and be a good playoff team. However, you still showed me things that aren't fixed. It was just the stars aligned today. The stars aligned on Sunday to where the Rams had a bad day and the Cowboys had a good day. Those came together at once and that's how it created a 44-21 win for the Dallas Cowboys. On any other day, you give me the Rams in the playoffs again from last year, or or like let's say they match up again in the playoffs this year. I don't think it goes that same way. I, I really don't think so. And if you're talking about like, well, now the Cowboys can play a playoff team and they can win. The the teams that they are going to face if they make the playoffs are either going to be the Seahawks, the Minnesota Vikings, or the San Francisco 49ers. And they would have to travel to Dallas. They have no home field advantage, and those teams will go in there and slap the living hell out of the Dallas Cowboys. There is no way they're beating those three teams, because those three teams are highly well-coached. Those guys, like those, have Hall of Fame coaches, potentially, or already do. They are well above the coaching staff of the Dallas Cowboys, and that's what matters in the playoffs, is defense and coaching. And the Cowboys don't have either one of those right now. So you can say Jason Garrett keeps his job for another week and Jerry Jones can go on the radio and like go on the press conferences and say, hey, like, I mean, we won, right, guys? Like you got some uh, some optimism with us because that's what Jerry Jones does. When I was listening, the last thing, last thing is when I was listening to the the fan today, 105.3 The Fan, and they were talking about the Cowboys. One of the guys mentioned that we got to be more, not disrespectful, but critical of the Cowboys. Like, we, we can't give them hope. Because that's when they play their best, is when 
everyone stops believing in them. No one believed in them beating the Rams on Sunday. I'll say I was wrong, but I truly didn't believe the Cowboys would win that game. And a lot of people didn't. The Rams were favored in that game. And in most situations throughout this tenure of Jason Garrett, you can say when they're expected to be their worst, they actually come out and win games. So we got to just, the whole week, going into this Eagles game, we all as Cowboys fans got to be like, well, they're definitely not. Well, they're going to get blown out. No one believes in this team. They're going to choke. Because that's when the Cowboys say, oh, oh, so you don't believe in us? Okay. All right. Now we got something to prove. Even though you always have something to prove in the in the NFL, now it's time to prove something. Right. Jason Garrett, great job. Okay. So, yeah, the Cowboys are going to suck on Sunday. Uh, either I'll be completely right or completely wrong. I don't care at this point. But my instinct says they're going to lose that football game on Sunday. They should win. They are more talented than the Eagles. They've already had the matchup win against the Eagles. Yet it's on the road. Um, And now most people are saying like, well, the Cowboys should win. And they probably will win since everyone is now back on the bandwagon. Yeah, that's going to mean terrible things for the Dallas Cowboys on Sunday. So that's going to do it for episode 93 of the Bubble Let Sports podcast. Um, make sure to subscribe to the podcast. You already know the deal. Uh, click on the link down below, anchor.fm slash bubble to subscribe. Become the sixth member of the podcast, and we'll shout you out on the next episode. So we're going to come back later on this week, talk about our favorite moments of 2019 and of the decade, and then we'll come back later on to talk about the preview for the Cowboys and Eagles game on Sunday. So thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time.